Welcome to AACS Today, the official podcast of the American Association of Christian Schools. Thank you for joining us on this episode of AACS Today. We are so glad that you are listening to this podcast. My name is Matt Tiscus, Regional Director for the AACS in the Mid-South region, coming to you from the great state of Texas with my co-host, Mr. Jamison Campola, coming to us from the not so great, oh wait, no, I'm just kidding. It's, it is a great place in Washington, <laughs> DC. Jameson, how are you today? Good. Well, it's, the weather hasn't been great. We caught that big storm coming up the East Coast, but it is warm, which is rare for this time of year. What do you consider to be warm? I'm just curious. Yeah, the older I get, the higher that temperature goes. But right now I'm about 60 degree threshold. Anything below 60 is cold. Wow. Okay. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Winter is tough for me because you kind of get in this malaise of what I just think of as darkness and hibernation time. Yeah. Yeah. And what I love about what's happening now in the world is that each day it's getting a little bit lighter as the day goes. And so that makes me excited because you know what? I don't like at 445 when it's like dark and now, you know, everything is ended for the evening. It feels like. I'm just starting to notice that the days are longer even. So it's not just even theoretical at this point. It's actually starting to get noticeable, which is nice. I like it. And the warmth of the sun is speaking spring to us. So that is, that is coming, you know, speaking of light and speaking of spring, we want to share with our listeners uh, a little bit more about one of our favorite people, Hannah DeBruyler, one of yeah. our team members uh, with AACS. She's been on our team uh, for uh, six years, and we just want to make sure that our uh, listeners have a, have a good understanding of what Hannah's been up to. Her role has changed here recently, so we just want to uh, bring her on the podcast, help our listeners get to know her and the good work that she does in D.C. So Hannah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. I'm happy to be here. Um, why don't you kind of give us just a, a little bit of update about kind of uh, what's happening uh, in your life right now? You've had some uh, additions to your family recently and different things. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I've had um, I've had a whirlwind whirlwind 2023. There was a lot of changes for me, but um, a lot of really positive things um, that I'm super happy about. I'm very grateful for. Um, so like Matt kind of alluded to, I I uh, had a transition in my role at AACS for five years. I was the government relations assistant. Um, I loved the work that we did. Um, I was in the office in D.C. every day um, in the very heart of our nation's capital, which was just a super wonderful, uh, fun time and a good job to do and um, really grew my appreciation for Christian education. Um, I'm a product of Christian education. So uh, K through 12, I was in a Christian school in Maryland. Um, It was during my high school years that I really developed a keen interest in policy and in government. So I decided to study political science at Pensacola Christian College. And then from there, I was introduced to AACS first as an intern and then as a full-time employee. Um, and then I did that for five years. And then in the past year, uh, my husband and I found out we were expecting. So, um, we actually moved to Maryland to be a little closer to my family. And around that time I transitioned to my current role, which is the higher ed policy analyst. So kind of transitioning from the K-12 more towards the higher education side. Hannah is talking about, uh, you know, big life changes and all of that. 
Uh, oh, by the way, this is one of my favorite parts of our podcast, Hannah and, and Matt, uh, when we get to introduce our staff members a little more completely to the membership at AACS and get to know them a little bit better. But Hannah, hopefully I'm not speaking out of school. H Hannah mentioned, you know, transition in roles, little Leo, their, their beloved little boy was born. And I don't know if our listeners are prepared for this, Matt, but they adopted two puppies as well. No. <laughs> Hannah, well, any thoughts about, you know, the, you mentioned some of the changes from last year, but I, I didn't hear any mention about the puppies. Well, the jury is still out on which is more difficult, a baby or <laughs> two puppies. Um, I, the, the day by day by day, it changes what I think is is harder to do. Um, but we're getting through it. So and they are they're a lot of fun. So I can't really complain. So so we need more information, though. Tell us, uh, tell, you know, tell us the names, what kind of dogs we have here. What, what does this look like? Okay. First, I will say that two puppies was not the original plan. We wanted to get one well. <laughs> yeah, well, that's wise. It never should be mm. two puppies and a, a new baby. I think that should never be the actual plan. <laughs> that's right. So we got the first puppy. Uh, my in-laws breed golden doodles and golden retrievers, and they had a golden oh. doodle puppy that was just calling our name. So uh, we welcomed him in September, and then literally as soon as he got to our house we got a message from a breeder of this dog that we really like and have been trying to get for a long time um saying they had one left in the litter would we want her and of course we said yes because that's what we do so um we have a, a mini golden doodle and an english cocker spaniel named pippin and brie and they're a lot of fun wow that is a lot of life change. Two dogs, you know, we have two dogs in our household now, and I never thought we would be two dog people by any stretch of the imagination. But you know what I found? They love to play together. And so that is a, a beautiful thing. Company. That's yeah. right. And I especially love it when we're recording a podcast and the dogs are barking in the background. That always goes over really I've well. I've seen it. I, the dog has made an appearance on the on the podcast, I think at least once. So yes, we're not going to show that video to anyone, <laughs> right. but just in case our listeners hear that. Okay. Enough about our animals. Uh, but that hopefully helps our folks get to know us a little bit better. Um, you shared a little bit about your, your kind of your journey with AACS intern, uh, working in the Washington office now, uh, into transitioning into what you're doing. So, uh, remind us, uh, what your title is again, if, even if you already said it, remind us, and then kind of tell us what your work is looking like right now. Yeah, so I'm currently the policy analyst for higher education. So, you know, the issues that are important to our college partners and to our K-12 member schools, they do overlap quite a bit. Um, religious liberty being hugely important, um, the ability to educate students according to uh, your biblical beliefs and uh, without government interference. Those are important to both. Um, but what I do is I, I focus specifically on the higher education side. Um, so I do a lot of research and writing, and we, we really just try to be a channel of communication for our colleges, um, both you know what their priorities are to uh, policymakers and then from those policymakers back to them. So Jameson, one of the terms that we use when we think about the work that Hannah is doing and we think about colleges, how it relates to our, our partners in the K-12 space is we use this phrase, colleges are the tip of the spear. Uh, explain to us kind of what that, what that means and why Hannah's work is important. Yeah, well, we're privileged to be able to add to the work that we do in D.C., you know, representation of our K-12 schools now to um, – several higher institutions of higher ed, because we did see that, especially 
two years ago, three years ago now, that there was a strong movement um, in the federal government to go after the, especially the religious liberty rights, the independence and the religious liberty rights of higher ed. And so we use this term, the tip of the spear, because, you know, you know, government sometimes is, is, uh, talked about philosophically as a leviathan, right? This all-consuming beast. And when it's done devouring, so to speak, the rights, religious liberty and academic rights of higher ed, um, they're not going to stop there. You know, K through 12 will be the next target. And so we felt like it was certainly in our K through 12 schools best interest and in the best interest of the colleges where our K through 12 students go, right? So our, our schools graduate kids to go to good, solid Christian colleges. We wanted to protect the religious liberty right of those higher ed partners, as well as um, um, ward off, push back against this consuming uh, desire for federal government to have preeminence over uh, the, our religious institutions. And that's a great explanation and help for us, helpful for us to understand why Hannah's work is so important. So Hannah, let's take a look back now in the rearview mirror a little bit at your work over, let's say, the last 12 or 18 months. Uh, what has that looked like? What have the big issues been? Kind of bring us up to speed on that. Yeah, sure. So you know, you might think that policy is made in the halls of Congress, but un unfortunately, that's not how um, practically it works a lot of times. So um, while we are very active on congr any congressional legislation that may affect higher ed, where a lot of our focus has been in the last year has been in the courts and in regulations, um, especially in regulations. We saw this past fall, there was a a slew of uh, proposed rules is what they're called. It's kind of the first step in the regulatory process um, of different agencies proposing what they plan to do and implement. Um, and that gives us an opportunity to comment, to um, give our feedback and our analysis of these proposals before they are finalized. Um, so we were really busy with that this fall. Um, the Department of Ed had proposed rules, the Department of Labor, the Department of um, health and human services. There are so many different agencies that can reach into higher education. Um, so we were monitoring uh, a lot of that really closely and uh, voicing um, our feedback where we could. Yeah, Hannah, do, do you have um, a couple of, of specifics on how the regulations would apply? Like you said, I think something like, you know, the bureaucracy is writing these regulations and they reach into a lot of areas of higher ed. What are some of those areas? Yeah, so I think the premier example here is uh, a law called Title IX. There's a lot of regulations that surround it. Um, and it was a, a law that was passed in the 70s to um, its purpose was to expand uh um, equality in education for women. So what it does is it prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex. Um, and But what we've seen in the past year is uh, the Biden administration has really taken that word and expanded it way past the biological reality of sex to include things like sexual orientation and gender identity. Um, and so when the Department of Ed was working on these Title IX regulations last year, they uh, inserted that. So prohibiting discrimination on the basis of sex, including those other characteristics that were not originally intended in the law. 
Um, so that was hugely concerning to our colleges. We're still waiting on the final rules to come out. They're expected to come out in March. So we're watching, um, eagerly awaiting the release of those regulations. Yeah. And so the we've seen this, you know, across the board um, in all of the bureaucratic departments where they are using the pretextual reason for changing federal stat or for changing federal regulations, the pretext is is that under the Bostock decision, sex was seen in an employment context to reach into um, these notions of sexual orientation and gender identity. And so now there's been this um, massive, I don't think massive is too small a word, no pun intended, um, to say that a massive uh, attempt to redefine sex, in federal regulation. And so that Title IX rule is very important in a higher ed context, especially. Uh, we expect that in March. Uh, I think there was also a housing rule. And that housing rule, is, so, so Title IX, one of the nuances of it is that it, it only attaches to schools that are seen as recipients of federal financial assistance, right? But am I right in understanding that the housing rule um, doesn't need federal financial assistance to attach to a college. Yeah, I believe that's correct. And that's why there was even a court case already about that um, concerning College of the Ozarks that protested um, how HUD, the ha Housing and Urban Development Department, uh, was interpreting this new rule that would negative effect, uh, negatively affect them and their religious liberty. So that is an ongoing court case. Um, yeah. So an institution, you know, just to summarize, an institution could be sued and um, brought to court for not honoring someone's sexual identity in a housing context. And so that's even outside of kind of the Title IX changes as it deals with sex. So a, a, a huge, you know, cultural change that is directly targeted at religious institutions that still think that God created male and female, and those are distinct categories, and th that... You know, men and women are are um, distinctly different in their um, in their biology, complementary but different. Um, and now that is under attack by the federal government. So a, a lot of regulations. And anything else like um, that's on the radar for you? Well, I was gonna I was gonna chime in and ask a, a question also before you answer that, Hannah. I mean, you use this word that it seems like our culture is having a very difficult time defining this word, woman. I don't know if you're familiar with this word, you know, what, maybe we should ask like Matt Walsh has done. What is a woman? I mean, wow. Um, well, we have a Supreme court justice that couldn't define it. So, you know, that shows the confusion of our, our, our uh, institutional leadership about this term. That's right. That's why I just wanted to bring it up to make sure everyone was clear on what the definition was. So anyway, I okay. Think, I think Matt Walsh uses adult female human, which is pretty simple and easy to remember. That's good. That's good. Okay. Jameson had an actual serious question, which was what's kind of what's coming up on, on your agenda coming down the pike here. What are you seeing? Yeah. So, um, you know, that title nine reg, that is a huge one coming out in March. Uh, hopefully there have been a lot of delays, but it's planned for March. Um, but this is an election year. So I think that's taking up a lot of the oxygen in the room. 
Um, I think there will definitely be some more movement in trying to cancel federal student loans. There's already been so many different avenues that the Department of Ed has used to kind of chip away at that rather than, you know, the Biden administration's big plan that got struck down by the Supreme Court. They've tried to do this piecemeal um, chipping away at those uh, different categories of student loan debt one at a time. So I think we'll see more of that, especially in an election year. And then um, on the judicial front, there have been several court cases that I think are really important to Christian education, um, both on K-12 and higher ed, uh, specifically concerning hiring practices and the rights of those institutions to select who is employed at their school according to religious beliefs. So there have been a lot of court cases on uh, uh, district court level and even in the appellate court level that are handling this situation. So we'll see if any decisions are made in 2024 that could be significant for our colleges and um, other educators. And there's something coming related to tax exemption as well, is there not? Yeah, that's a huge development just in the past couple of years. Um, we, we've had two courts, one in California and one in Maryland, that have said that tax exempt status is uh, considered federal financial assistance. So um, in a lot of these regulations, the hook or the thing that uh, would make a college or a school uh, susceptible to regulations is some kind of federal funding. Um, that's especially the case for higher education, which is why you know, federal student loans are kind of the federal government's gateway into regulating a lot of colleges and higher ed institutions. Um, but if other courts kind of go this way of California and Maryland, we could see tax exemption really broadening the range of what institutions are now falling under federal regulations. So this is hugely concerning, and we're definitely watching any uh, court cases that could interpret. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, it's just such a novel legal idea. And again, we talked about the regulatory state where our legislature really isn't dealing with uh, legislation, right? They've kind of offloaded or offshored uh, federal lawmaking to the bureaucracy. The bureaucracy now is changing the meaning of the word sex and redefining that word across all federal statutes uh, to mean sexual orientation and gender identity. And, and, and so any school that is a recipient of FFA and that as Hannah pointed out, is primarily for higher ed through student loans, through the student loan program, is subject to these new interpretations. They'll have to claim some sort of religious liberty exemption and see how the courts handle that. But now there's a parallel track of attack that says you don't have to take a dime of federal money, but if you are tax-exempt, if you're considered a tax-exempt organization, which I'm guessing all of our schools are. I don't think right. we have a single for-profit school in our right. association. Uh, if you are tax exempt, then you are receiving from the government financial support, and therefore you are a recipient of FFA and therefore are obligated to, fo to follow um, federal statute, federal uh, regulations as it relates to your institution. Um, Hillsdale College, a, a college that is historically not participated in these programs so that they could maintain their religious and educational independence was sued, I think, last December under this pretext. And so we, we've got threats across the spectrum for higher ed. And of course, as we said earlier, Matt, the tip of the spear 
these threats eventually will come down to our K through 12. Um, so really, really important things that Hannah's looking after for our institutions. Well, and that's exactly right. It underscores the necessity of why we have uh, an office in Washington, D.C., right, right there on C Street, because frankly, you know, while our uh, school leaders and teachers are busy doing the work in the classroom each and every day, we need a group of folks keeping an eye on what's happening in these court cases with these regulations. We need folks who are answering in these public comments. Uh, and that's that's part of the work that we're privileged to do, but it underscores why it's important. And I don't think we can emphasize that enough because sometimes, you know, maybe we have a school here in Texas feels a little disconnected from Washington, D.C. You know, we're over here in flyover country, if you will. Um, but we need folks paying attention. And so our work's really important. So keep up the good yeah. work and thank Spe you for that. Yeah. Speaking of paying attention, Hannah, the, the other thing I, uh, I was thinking about in, in relation to our conversation is, and this is how we talk to our higher ed partners sometimes, we talk about trends, right? So uh, you have the specifics of how the federal government is regulating. You have these court cases that we've talked about. There's not much legislatively going on, but there are a lot of conversations happening with congressmen, with senators, with their staff. What are some of the trends? You, you know, we, we talked earlier this year about prognostications for what the year might hold as far as activity or actions uh, on the uh, on the uh, on the horizon, what do you anticipate are some of the themes or some of the things that kind of motivate regulation, legislation, et cetera? Are you hearing some some chatter about what might be in the works? Yeah, the first word that popped to my mind was accountability. And the interesting thing about accountability is it means very different things according to who's, you know, the person that you're asking. So, um, you know, some on the left might want accountability for institutions that they think are not using, uh, not focusing on the right uh, things or might be teaching the wrong things or in their view, not using federal monies in the proper way, uh, whereas some on the right might be more concerned about uh, the money that these higher education institutions, uh, public ones mostly, are, or you know, some of the bigger endowment colleges are using to produce students like the ones that we're seeing now um, protesting for Gaza or something like that. Just um, so, so what I hear you saying is there, there's there's both parties or both sides of the political spectrum are talking about accountability for higher ed, but they mean two different things when they say accountability. Absolutely. But, it, yeah. but it means, yeah, but it means that they're thinking about ways to further regulate or further legislate what colleges can or can't do. Yeah. Accountability yeah. always means control. It's just, is it your yeah. friends that are doing it or some that might not be quite as friendly towards yeah, you? Or are your students or your clients, you know, their, your customers, you know, we often say in private education, the greatest accountability is a child's parent, right? You know, there's no greater accountability than have to look a parent in the eye who's saying, why are you doing this and have to give account to them about why. But so, so what might some of those accountability things look like in higher ed moving forward? Well, if everyone's talking about accountability, what might we see come out of that discussion? Well, we're already seeing some things on the regulatory front to try to bring accountability. And another buzzword is transparency. 
um, something that could protect borrowers. So that's a lot of regulations that are coming out to affect colleges. Um, but in Congress, uh, there have been some Republicans that have put forth some bills for accountability. I think maybe Senator Cotton had one that would tax some uh, universities that endowments. are wealthy and have large endowments. So yeah. uh, we'll see which of those pick up steam. I think there's just part of the larger conversation about how how do you make higher ed accountable and how do you stop these ideologies at the heart um, in a lot of these public institutions, but that could potentially have some unintended negative consequences for our schools. Yeah, because in a sense, they're they're going to tax a good stewardship of financial resources, right? So these uh, nonprofit higher ed institutions have saved up money to try to provide for the future needs of the institution or to provide scholarships or to build buildings, all those things. Um, and the federal government saying, well, we're going to tax those endowments. Um, and, and it is ideological. You pointed this out. We, we've seen recently, you know, the anti-Semitism hearing and, uh, you know, the president of Princeton stepped down. The president of Harvard now has stepped down. And uh, so, so there's some desire to punish the ideological drift of these institutions while bringing accountability. You know, some are talking about how institutions have taken advantage of students and the federal government by bringing students in and uh, not giving them a, a, an education that's sufficient to pay down their school debt. Right. So now you've got attempts to either forgive the debt or get rid of the debt or make the colleges more accountable for the students they bring in and the debt that that's created. So, I, man, there's there's layer and layer after discussion, uh, layer and layer to the discussion of this, this word of accountability. Well, this has been a good discussion for us to have. And uh, Jameson, notwithstanding you and I, there's no doubt we have some quality people on our team here uh, at AACS, and Hannah is definitely one of those uh, individuals. So Hannah, thanks for joining us today and kind of opening our eyes uh, to the work uh, that you're doing on behalf of our colleges, but also how that filters down uh, to the K-12 space. Yeah, thank yeah. you for having me. This has been a wonderful time. Yeah, we're, we're thrilled to have you, Matt. You said, you know, notwithstanding you and I, and I think that's hopefully obvious to our listeners that we've they're surrounded by quality people doing good work on their behalf here in D.C. And Hannah certainly is. She's that light that you talked about earlier, Matt. There you uh, go. The, 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 the hopefulness and the, uh, the dawning of brightness. And we're glad to have her... Um, her expertise, six years of work now in our office. We're happy to have her, her good work and her attention on these really important issues. And we look forward to hearing more uh, about her dogs uh, coming up soon and maybe the rest of her family too. So Hannah, thanks for joining <laughs> us. Listeners, thank you for joining us on this episode of a AACS today. Hope you got to know Hannah a little better today and the work uh, that she's doing with our team on behalf of you. We hope you have a wonderful day wherever you're at in the world. God bless.